Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First Naz podcast. This morning I'm I'm in the book of Romans. I'm in Romans chapter 1. Last week I started looking at the book of Romans. My my plan is to preach through the first 8 chapters of Romans uh, into November. So I'll get through pretty much through November uh, through the first 8 chapters of Romans. And so last week, I talked about the major theme, one of the major themes, and gave really a thematic introduction to this sermon series. So through this sermon series, I'm going to be going back to the way that I talked about sin last week. And last week, I talked about sin as taking what God has created to reveal himself to all of us, and, and we twist it, and we make it something that God never intended and, and so that is, that is really the way that I'm viewing sin throughout as I look at the, the book of Romans. And because I knew we would have a good chunk of women away for a women's retreat, I wanted to do the, the thematic theological introduction last week and, and not miss them with that. But this week, they're going to miss the, the, uh, the historical introduction. I'm going to talk a little bit about the background of the book of Romans, where it comes from, why, why it is, what it is, and what it is. And so that's really what I'm doing this morning is looking at, at the book of Romans from sort of a historical perspective. Um, and, and so I, I want to start with the author, who is the Apostle Paul. And, and I'll start with, with Paul just giving an introduction of who Paul is. So Paul was a Jewish man who grew up in a Roman city, the Roman city of Tarsus. And, and Paul was a Roman citizen. And so that came with a certain amount of privilege and a certain number of responsibilities. Paul being a Roman citizen, in the book of Acts, we read about how he uses his privilege to, to appeal all the way to Caesar. And that he, he was arrested and on trial, and as a Roman citizen, he had the right to say, I want Caesar, the king of all of Rome, all of the Roman Empire, to hear my case. And so he, he used that, that privilege as a Roman citizen. Paul probably came from a family that, that was like relatively wealthy, and they probably purchased Roman citizenship. Uh, and so they probably, in Tarsus, they, they purchased that, uh, that privilege to be a Roman citizen. So Paul was really well-educated. He was probably educated some in Tarsus, but he also was educated in Jerusalem. And, and he was very, very well religiously educated. He, he had like the equivalent of a seminary education, like an a upper-level deg- degree in religion. He knew what he believed and, and as a Jewish person who, who was educated before, before Jesus' message was spread in the world, he, he knew what he believed about what, what is our Old Testament. And he understood why he was a person of Jewish faith and what it meant and, and the rights and responsibilities of being a, a Jewish person. And so he, he tried to live that out. And, and the way that he tried to live it out was he became a member of a group called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the strictest rule followers among the Jews in the, in the first century. And so Paul took on this, this identity. He, he made himself one of the strictest rule followers of anyone he knew. And he wanted, to be, he wanted to be first and foremost among the rule followers. He wanted to try to find new rules that other people were breaking so he could be better at following rules than other people. He was rule follower par excellence. He was the best rule follower he could possibly be. And so 
he, he, was, um, he was living his life trying to follow the rules, and, and he lived about the same time as Jesus. And Jesus was probably a, a few years older than him. We don't believe that Paul ever actually met Jesus, or he may have heard him, may have crossed paths with him in the temple when Jesus was teaching. But for Paul, Jesus... Jesus was really hard on the Pharisees, and, and Paul was a Pharisee, and so I can just kind of imagine Paul, from what we know of his character, being someone who's like, you know, if that guy doesn't like the Pharisees, I don't like him, and, and just not having the time of day for, for Jesus. And so when Jesus's followers, after Jesus's death and resurrection, and Jesus's followers start to preach the good news about Jesus, Paul threw himself wholeheartedly into stopping that preaching. And he, he did everything he could to stop the message of Christianity spreading. In fact, he went so far as to go to the authorities in Jerusalem. He went to the authorities in Jerusalem. He said, I heard that in Damascus, in the town of Damascus, there's this group of people following Jesus. Would you give me papers so I could go to Damascus and arrest anybody who's trying to talk about Jesus in Damascus? And the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem were happy to give him those papers. And he started toward the city of Damascus. It's north of Jerusalem. He was on the road to Damascus when a light hit him and he had a vision of Jesus. Nobody else saw the light. But Jesus spoke audibly to Paul. And the people that were with Paul heard the voice of Jesus. And, and the voice of Jesus called Paul to stop persecuting him and his followers. And it, it told him uh, to begin, that, that he was, that Jesus is calling Paul into relationship with him and to follow him. And so Paul was completely changed. Well, he was blind right at first. He got up from the vision, the, the light that he had seen and nobody else had seen had blinded him. And so he was led by the hand to Damascus and he, he went to, to Straight Street in Damascus, and uh, there, was a, there was a person there that God, a Christian, that God had given a vision to, to say, go and pray for Paul. He's down on Straight Street. And, and Ananias was his name, and, and he went and he prayed for him. And in the book of Acts, it says something like scales fell from, from Paul's eyes, and he was able to see. And then Paul is just like 100% passionate about anything that he does. And so as soon as he has his sight back and, and is believing in Jesus now, he wanted to go all around Damascus sharing the good news about Jesus. And so he started preaching all around Damascus. The problem was somebody had delivered letters to Damascus saying that anybody that's preaching about Jesus should be arrested. And so Paul found himself in danger of being arrested. And so he, uh, he had to be lowered over the city wall in a basket. He went, and, they, and then he just like goes away for about 10 years. And, and there's about 10 years of Paul's life where he's just being taught by God. He, he, he receives from more from the voice of Jesus, we think, from the Holy Spirit working in his life. And other believers gather around him and, and help him. And then he, he reappears with, with this man named Barnabas, and, and uh, Barnabas disciples him and brings him along. And then, and then Barnabas and Paul are set aside and called by God to go be missionaries. 
And they started taking journeys. They took one journey around the Eastern Mediterranean, and then they split up, and then Paul took another journey, and then a third journey around the Eastern Mediterranean Sea, just sharing the good news about Jesus. Everywhere he went, he, he went starting churches, and he went to encourage believers anywhere that there were believers. So on the, on the subsequent journeys, he would go back to the churches he had started on the, on the prior journeys and encourage those churches, and he would preach some more to, to those churches. And so at the end of the book of Romans, Paul talks a little bit about his travel plans, and, and Paul is talking about uh, the way that he had been traveling around, and he had been doing this, this work of collecting an offering for the church in Jerusalem. So Paul had been, the church in Jerusalem had suffered incredible persecution. They were starving. They, they needed help. And Paul had collected offering from all of the churches that he interacted with. And, and he tells us in the, in the end of the book of Romans that he's going to take that offering back to, to Jerusalem. And then he planned to go and visit the church in Rome. We don't know for sure, but uh, we know that after Paul's, Paul's third missionary journey, uh, he, he went back to Jerusalem with a collection. He, he might have done that on more than one occasion. So, so it might not be exactly when it happened in Paul's lifetime, but we believe that Paul probably wrote the book of Romans right at the end, toward the end of his third missionary journey, and he, he was headed back to Jerusalem with that, with that collection. And then the book of Acts tells us that when Paul was in Jerusalem delivering the offering, he was arrested. And that arrest was the arrest where he, he was put on trial and he said, I'm a Roman citizen, I want to go have my case heard by Caesar. And so that, that arrest led to him being, being delivered to Rome so that Caesar could hear his, his case and uh, more than likely, that, that trial ended in Paul's death. Uh, we don't know exactly how Paul died. The Bible doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us for sure the results of that trial. But more than likely, Paul was put to death as a result of that trial. He had some time in Rome while he was waiting to be heard. He did some writing. He probably met some of the people he wrote to in this letter but Paul had never been to Rome before. He, he tells the Romans he really wants to meet him. He, he just hadn't been able to make it. And so Paul writes this letter to introduce himself to Rome. He, he wrote this letter on one of his missionary journeys before going back to Jerusalem to introduce himself, saying that he really hoped to make it to Rome one day. And, and so Paul, Paul is, is interested in meeting the people in Rome uh, and, and he's interested in going to Rome, but at the end of the book of Romans, he also tells us that he really, really, really wants to go on to Spain, because as far as he knows, nobody has gone to Spain to preach the gospel. And so Rome, it's pretty cool. It's a cool city. There's great people there, he hears. Uh, but Paul's heart is to go where nobody has heard the gospel. And so he's, he's going to go through Rome, but he's going through Rome. He's going through Rome on his way to do what really fills his heart with passion, which is preach the good news to, to people who hadn't already heard it. Rome already has a church, and the church is doing what the church ought to do in Rome. And so Paul really doesn't see that he is completely necessary in Rome the way that he sees a need for himself in Spain. So that's an introduction to Paul. Let me, that's my introduction to the Apostle Paul.
Paul's introduction to Paul. Let me introduce you the way that Paul introduces himself to the Romans. And so in, in Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we read Paul introducing himself. He says, This letter is from Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son, Jesus. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere that God has done for them what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. So this is Paul's introduction of himself. Paul cannot think about himself. He cannot introduce himself without talking about the good news. Right? He, cannot, he cannot fathom who he is apart from this, this good news that God has called him to preach. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm going to use uh, the, the words good news a lot. In the New Living Translation, the translation that I, I normally preach from, it always, always, always uses that two-word phrase, good news. In other translations, it uses the word gospel. In, in the Greek, Paul, Paul dictated his letter. So when he dictated the letter to a scribe that wrote down what he said, uh, Paul dictated in the Greek language. And so in Greek, the, the Greek uh, for that, that two-word phrase, good news, is a, is a single compound word. In Greek, it, I, we think maybe it sounded like euangelion. So that euangelion, it literally is a compound word that means good news. That's that is all like that's what it what it means. It's good news. In in English, it comes to us like through Old English, where it was Godspell, um, like God news or good news. Spell means news. Apparently, in Old English, I don't speak Old English. I'm sorry. And so, uh, and then as as Old English evolved to get to us, we have the word gospel. And so, I I'm young. I'm just a kid. But for some reason, this feels like teaching an old dog a new trick to get me to say good news instead of gospel. And so I'm going to say gospel a lot. I just mean good news. And so it's, they're interchangeable, right? It's all the same thing. It's good news. It's gospel. It's euangelion. We could just use the Greek. Why not? Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you why not. Um, all, all that to say, Paul is, Paul is completely identified with what he calls the good news, the euangelium. Paul, Paul cannot think of himself apart for it. He says in these first few verses, he has been, he's been called to be a preacher of this good news. That, that is like his, his life's passion. It's what he's called to do. He, he sees uh, the good news. He had studied his Bible all his life, and he sees how the prophets of old spoke about this good news in this Bible that he has studied for all of his life. And then he, he says that he counts it a privilege to be one who gets to preach the, the good news. 
And so we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about exactly what the, what the gospel means, but we just need to highlight in Paul's introduction of himself, he, he repeats over and over and over again this idea that the good news is what he's about. Paul, a good news guy. And he's writing to the church at Rome. And, and we, we honestly, we don't have a great perspective on Rome. We don't know what, what the history of the Roman church was before Paul wrote to them. Now, historically, there's a story, the, 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 the traditional church belief, the traditional church story is that Peter went to Rome and preached the good news. And maybe that's, maybe that's what happened. There isn't like, there isn't a historical paper trail of that happening. And so we don't, we don't know for sure. I like this story of how the gospel reached Rome. The, the gospel reached Rome maybe uh, by people. So in, in Rome, there were a number of Gentile people who converted to Judaism. And, and those Gentile people who converted to Judaism would make frequent pilgrimages to Jerusalem. And so on the day of Pentecost, in, in Acts chapter 2, when we read about the day of Pentecost, the church received the Holy Spirit, and there, there, everybody preached. Uh, there, was, there was lots of preaching in different languages. On that day, in Acts chapter 2, it tells us that there were some Gentile converts to Judaism from Rome in the town. And so I like the, the idea that those people heard the message on the day of Pentecost, those, those Roman people who happened to be in Jerusalem, heard the message and took it back and began the church in Rome. That's one possible story as well as to how the church began. Um, but as, as we'll see today, Paul is really impressed with what he knows about the church in Rome. Paul had never visited. Paul, Paul didn't have firsthand experience. But man, what he hears is good stuff. He knows that they are pretty much all Gentile people, pretty much all Gentiles in the church. And, uh, and so they, they may have all converted to Judaism before they became Christians, but Paul says they're Gentile folks. And this is how Paul addresses the church in, in Romans uh, 1, 6 through 9. He says, And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to all of you in Rome, who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night, I bring you and your needs in prayer to God whom I serve, and with all my heart, I, uh, by spreading the good news about his son. So Paul, Paul talks about how he has been praying for the, for the church in Rome. And, and this is, uh, let's see, this is a characteristic in, in all of Paul's letters. Paul, we have a collection of Paul's letters here in the New Testament. In every letter, Paul, Paul talks about how he's praying for them and how he gives thanks for, for the people he's writing to, except for in the book of Galatians where he has a bone to pick and he just gets to fighting with them right away. But uh, in every other letter, Paul talks about how, how grateful he is for the people he's writing to. And, and Paul, in every other letter where, where Paul has visited the church or has first-hand knowledge of the church, that section of thanksgiving is much, much longer. It's interesting to me that Paul doesn't spend 
you know, pages talking about how grateful he is, how he thanks God for the, for the Roman church. He, he just, you know, kind of says it like it is. He says, I hear really good things about you. You guys are talked about really well. Praise God. I thank God for you. And he kind of moves on. He kind of moves on. He, he's heard good things, and that's, that's enough. And, and Paul, in, in thanking God for them, he's a little self-referential. He kind of goes back to himself, what he's heard, who, who he is. And, and again, he can't think about himself without mentioning the gospel. And so again, the gospel comes right back in to the message because, because the, the gospel has, has had an impact in Rome and, and he thinks about the gospel when he thinks about himself and, and he thinks about how the gospel is so revolutionary because these Gentiles have been called to be people who belong to Jesus, and that's what the gospel does. So when Paul addresses, then, then Paul gets on to and addresses the, the reasons that he is writing, and he writes in, in Romans 10 through 15, he says, uh, Romans 1, 10 through 15, one of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I have seen among other Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. So I'm eager to come to you in Rome, too, to preach the good news. So Paul talks about the fact he hadn't made it to Rome. He says he was prevented. No idea why he was prevented. be interesting to try to understand that. Um, but you sense Paul's, Paul's heart to meet the people in Rome. He, he really, really wanted to get to Rome. And Paul believes that, it, that God is going to work through him when he goes to Rome. He, he just has a strong sense of, of God's ability to work through his ministry as, as he goes to Rome. There's no doubt in his mind. If he goes to Rome, God will bear fruit in the lives of the people. That's, that's just what he had always seen. And, and again, it's, it's the gospel that's going to do it. It's going to be the gospel that changes people. Because wherever Paul goes, there goes the gospel. Paul can't think of himself apart from it. And then he, he begins to move on. He kind, of, he kind of ends addressing the Romans and their situation. He goes on to, to talk about the heart of the message. You know, enough with the preliminaries already, Paul says. And he, and he goes on, and I just wanted to reread for you verses uh, 16 and 17. As Paul says, the, the basic essence of what he wants to say in this message, in this in this letter, in Romans 1, 16 and seventeen, it says, "For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. The good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith." And as the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So uh, I, I include these, these 
extra verses, these last couple of verses that I, that I talked about last week about, about the gospel, um, because I, I wanted to highlight how, how Paul is making a transition here. That this is a letter, right? Paul has been, been writing a letter. He begins in the way that people write letters. In the first century, there was a style to writing letters, just like we have a style to writing letters, right? If you're writing a letter, you, my mom taught me you have to write the date at the top of the letter. And then uh, if it's an important letter, you know you write addresses. I don't know who's first. And then somebody else's address second. And, and then you write, you know, dear to whomever it may concern. Uh, and, and then you get into it. In, in the first century, letters were just the same. They had a very, very rigid structure for how a letter was written. We see Paul do this in every letter. It's very, very similar, the, the beginning of his letters. And then, and then usually Paul goes on in his letters to talk about the things he knows about the people. You know, I mentioned Galatians. He, goes, he, he says, you know, I'm Paul, I'm writing to Galatians. And then he, go, he says immediately, how dare you? Who has bewitched you, is what he says. And in, in all of his letters, except for Romans, Paul addresses something specific happening in the life of the church. In Romans, from, from uh, chapter 1, verse 16, through about the middle of chapter 15, Paul could have been writing to, to anyone, to anyone. There, there is no specific mention of Rome. There's no, there's no back and forth. The, it, it, is, it is simply a theological message for those who enjoy reading theological messages. I'm delighted. It, it is, that's all it is. Uh, and, and so it's, I, I, I point that out because this is really what, what Paul is intending to do here. He, he is beginning to lay out his understanding of this good news. And he begins with this very letter-like thing, and then he ends, the, the, the last chapter and a half of the book of Romans are all very letter-like. He, he sends greetings from everyone and their auntie, and he just has all of these, these nice things to say directly to the Romans. But in, for the vast majority, it is, it is a theological textbook. It is, it is the, the essence of his message that he is trying to get out. And, and so Paul, Paul is, is really just like, he, he wants to center on this good news. And so when he begins, when he switches from, from introduction, from like the letterly parts of the letter to the theological thing, what's the first thing he says? He says, I'm not ashamed of this good news. He, he is going to talk over and over again about what this good news is. He's going to talk about it from from the point where people are completely separated from, from God to the point where they could be so transformed that they actually want to do what God wants them to do. He, he's going to talk about the implications in the life of individual believers and the community. He's going to talk about the gospel from every angle he needs to get through in order for people to understand his message. And, and so Paul, Paul is centering in on the gospel. Paul is also centering in on his relationship with the Romans. He begins with his relationship with the Romans, right? And, and I'm interested, there's, there, there's a couple of things that, that happen in this. You know, as, as much as, as Paul mentions the gospel in these first 15 verses, 
In this first 15 verses, Paul, Paul really addresses his heart to have a relationship with people he doesn't know. And, and as a person who, who is shaped by the gospel, a person who can't think of himself apart from the gospel, Paul thinks about how he would like to interact with the Romans, and he thinks about how he would like to see fruit born in Rome because he's there. He says, I want to come, and I want to see spiritual fruit born. I want to see the church livened up. I want to see believers experience more fully what it means to live in, in Christ. And, and so Paul, Paul talks about his intentions to, to get to Rome. This letter is like, you know, a first, a first step. He's trying, to, he's trying to start off on the right, the right step. And, and I mentioned how, how Paul sees Rome as kind of a stopping point on his way to Spain. It, Paul, Paul really, you know, he had a heart to be where there weren't, weren't believers already. He had a heart to be where there wasn't a church already. And, and so Paul sees Rome as, you know, this great city, there's a great church there. But where Paul really wanted to be was out to Spain. He wanted to be further on. He wanted to take the gospel further on. And so maybe it would have been tempting for Paul to write a letter saying, hey, church in Rome, I hear you got some good rich folks there. Could I come and speak a little bit and see if you can't help me get on to Spain so we can spread the gospel? It might have been tempting for Paul, Paul to say, hey, I'm sailing through. Could you guys like find a, a hotel for me for a couple of nights while I have a layover and try to catch a ship on to, to Spain? It, it might have been tempting for Paul to just see what the Roman church could do for him. But as a person who is shaped by the gospel, Paul, Paul sees the opportunity to be in Rome. The fact that he knows he's going to pass through Rome. You, you, you've got to go through Rome to get to Spain. And he says, you know what? I think the gospel could bear some fruit there if I were to stop there. Because gospel-centered people see what God could do in the lives of other people because they interact with them. Gospel-centered people invest in others. Gospel-centered people see what God is doing in someone else, and, and they try to fan the flame. And so Paul, while he could have said, boy, Rome would be a great church to support me, he thought about his visit to Rome as an opportunity to support the church in Rome. He thought about the way that God could bear fruit through him. As, as, as believers, this is, this is a challenge to us. In, in a world that sees other people as commodities to be used for our own personal gain, Christian people see others as an opportunity to invest, as an opportunity to give of ourselves, because what God has put in us is too much for us to contain. We need to share it. We need to, to try to leave people better than we found them, because God has done that with us. As, as Christian people, we, we invest by, by pointing people to Jesus at every opportunity, by listening to, to what folks have to say and, and encouraging them that, that Jesus is, is with them and walking with them. We, we carry people through their difficulties. We encourage them with the truth. 
And, you know, we have a lot of really good people in our church. Like a lot of really, really good people. <laughs> we have a lot of really good people in our church. People who do invest in others. People who see others as, as folks that we can invest in rather than folks that can give us something. The gospel reminds us that we don't invest in others just because it's like good PR. We, we don't invest in others because, because we're just good people and we do it. And we don't do it just on our own strength. The gospel calls us to invest in others because, because the good news is, is worth sharing. The gospel calls us to, to invest in others because God is transforming our hearts and we want to see God transform the hearts of others. And so as, as Paul talks about the good news, I want to I just think real briefly about what this good news is that Paul is talking about. It, as we think about investing in other people and, and it, as we think about what the gospel is, we, we tend to simplify the gospel to taking people from, from being a sinner to being a saint. Uh, and, and that's a lot of what the gospel does. That's the, there's nothing wrong with thinking about the gospel offering salvation to people. There's nothing wrong with, with understanding that God is trying to correct our incorrect visions of him. God is trying to, to bring us to a place where we could will to do what God wills us to do. But when Paul talks about the gospel in this very, from the very beginning, Paul says, the gospel centers not on sin and, and salvation and sanctification. The gospel centers on Jesus Christ. The gospel centers on the person of Jesus. And at the end of, of verse 4, Paul, Paul lays out what the gospel is. This, this idea, this gospel, euangelion. Um, in in the Roman world, that was actually a term that was like reserved for special use. Euangelion had a specific meaning in the Roman Empire. In, in, in the Roman Empire, euangelion was the word that was used when there was a new king on the throne. The good news, the good news in the Roman Empire is Caesar is Lord. Lord as in, like, Lord of the manor, the authority. Euangelion, for, for every Roman person, is Caesar, is Lord. Paul, in, in verse 4, he, he turns the Roman understanding of what the good news is on its head. And he says something that is, that is treason in the Roman Empire. He says, here is the euangelion, here is the good news, here is the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus is Lord. That is the gospel. Jesus is Lord. And everything you think about Caesar, about how powerful he is and all of his authority and maybe he's even worth following, he takes a back seat to Jesus because the gospel, the real good news, is that Jesus is Lord. I love that idea. 
I, I love to think about the way the, the early Christians kind of poked the Romans in the eye with this idea. You have your gospel, we've got the gospel. The good news is that Jesus is Lord. It wasn't a, it wasn't a safe thing to do. I'm, I'm reading through the book of Acts in uh, these days, uh, my, my personal Bible time, and uh, in, in Acts chapter 17, I read yesterday how how Paul and Silas were, were kicked out of Thessalonica because they were proclaiming that anyone other than Caesar was Lord. I think they were beaten with rods. I'm not sure. It's hard to keep track of all the beatings. Um, this, this is dangerous and, sedi and, and seditious language. <laughs> for, for Paul to be writing to Rome claiming a different gospel, that someone other than Caesar is Lord. He, he's, writing, he, he, he's writing right to the very, the, the very heart of it. And he says, Jesus is Lord. As, as gospel people, there's a lot that, that can distract us and, and take our attention there's a lot in this world that, that can, can lead us away from, from the gospel, can get us focused on things that just aren't quite the gospel. The gospel calls us back over and over to remember, I'm not Lord. I'm not in charge. The gospel calls us back over and over to remember what it, whatever it is that's taking up so much of my time and I can't focus on anything else. It's, if it's not Jesus, it's not Lord. The gospel calls us over and over to, to point people to Jesus, our Lord. And, and as the example of Paul shows us in this, in this introduction, it, Paul reminds us that when we live with our identity wrapped up in the gospel, when we can't think of ourselves apart from putting Jesus on the throne, we, we can't help but it infect all of, all of our relationships and the way we view ourselves and everything about our lives. And, and Paul, Paul says, church in Rome, this, this is the good news. This is the good news that's going to bear fruit among you and it's going to change you forever. It is, it is simply that Jesus is Lord. As we, as we pray and end our time together, I just invite you to, to consider if the gospel is shaping you to the extent that you can't think about yourself without thinking about the gospel. Paul sets a really hard example for us, I think. If, if, we, if we can think of ourselves, if we can describe ourselves apart from the gospel, Paul, Paul just, it just naturally oozes out of him. And, and then he, he gives us this example of it naturally oozing out of him so that he will invest in the kingdom good of the people he interacts with. So, so does... Do you identify with the gospel like that? Does it ooze out of you like that? Does it infect every relationship you have? 
I think the example of Paul gives us a, an, important, an important lesson and a hard call. So let's pray and ask God to, to keep working on us so that we might reflect the gospel in that way. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you have given us this gospel. When, when Jesus Christ is declared Lord, we know that everyone belongs. Paul wrote to the Gentile church, these people who were not Jews by birth, these people who, who were not uh, originally part of the Old Testament plan, it doesn't sound like. And, and they were invited to accept Jesus as Lord. They were invited to, to identify themselves as people who had accepted Jesus as their Lord. God, today we have many things in this world that, that encourage us to take their, our identity from them. We have many things in our world that distract us and take up our, our emotional and spiritual energy. We have many things that, that would tempt us to say, maybe not out loud, but if we're honest with ourselves, that's kind of ruling my life today. Lord, we want to be gospel people who with Paul say, Jesus is Lord and there is no other. We want to be people who, who cannot think of ourselves except for in relationship to our Lord Jesus. And so God, I pray that you would, you would be at work in us, that you would call us ever closer to the heart of our Savior. I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would, you would make us into people who, who think of ourselves as gospel people, think of ourselves as people proclaiming with every fiber of our being, Jesus is Lord, and there is no other. We, we want to be those people because we love you, Lord. We want to be those people because we, we know it's what you've called us to. And so, God, by the power of your Spirit, would you be at work in us? Would you shape us more and more? Each day this week, Lord, we're counting on it, counting on your presence to make us gospel people, people who proclaim Jesus is Lord. And so it's in the name of our great Lord, the one who's worthy, that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us one more time? We're going to sing the doxology, and we want uh, this to be words that send you out into this world. The doxology comes from the Greek word doxazo, which is to have a mindset of praise, worship, adoration, glorification of God. Would you join me in singing these words? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise 
Let's sing a new verse. Let earth and heavenly saints proclaim the power and might of His great name. Let us exalt on bended knee. Praise God, the Holy Trinity. this whole week of praise and adoration. Amen? Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>